Welcome to your Future Therapist podcast. Empower yourself with this free podcast for personal growth and well-being. Future therapist and life coach Kelly Newsom and co-host Megan Lachowski share honest, real-life stories to help others navigate life's challenges. Welcome to your Future Therapist podcast. I'm your co-host Kelly Newsom, and today I'm introducing a very special guest, my husband of 28 years, my boyfriend of 36. And today we are talking about sobriety and your and his in particular. Welcome. Hi, Kelly. Always nice to see you. <laughs> it's going to be awkward like this for a few minutes. Probably. But I think, so today is your 24-year anniversary of your last drink. That's and, right. And by the time this is published, you will be, you will be sober for 24. Four years. Yeah, that's right. How are you feeling about this conversation? I'm a little nervous. I've, I've never really talked about it uh, in such a public manner, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but a little, little nervous. There's nothing you have to share that you don't want to. Oh, thank you. Right. And um, I mean, I do have questions uh, and I think we'll start off with questions yeah. about kind of the early years and your introduction to drinking and kind of how that made you feel and then into adulthood and then into sobriety, right? Sounds good. Okay. So here's, I'm going to just ask you some questions. Okay. Yeah. So the first is kind of overall, like, can you summarize that journey? The sobriety journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think I started drinking when I was 12 or 13 um, through junior high and high school, I didn't feel like it was a problem, um, because I wasn't doing it a lot. I was, uh, I was an athlete, so I was pretty focused on, on sports and, um, but I, I do remember the first time that I did and I, I kind of set the the table for the way I think I drank the rest of my life. And that's whenever I drank just a little bit, um, it always turned into a lot. So, um, you know, like I said, high school, junior high wasn't really on the radar. I, mean, I think even when we started dating, you probably didn't think much of it. Nope. Then I got into college and uh, we we had really one free night a week where um, we didn't have practice early the next morning. And so that kind of turned into a big night every week um, where, you know, looking back on it, it was it was definitely binge drinking. Um, and that went on you know, throughout, throughout the college years. And then, uh, once I was done with college and, you know, basically done with sports, I think I transitioned a little bit of that, um, maybe focus and energy that I had around, uh, sports mainly. I think I, I turned that, uh, focus towards, uh, drinking. And, uh, the other thing I did, uh, post-college was, um, started to drink, um, heavier alcohol. So, uh, whiskey became, a favorite of mine. And, you know, that, that I think took things to a whole new level. Um, still, I, I never really felt like it was a, anywhere close to a daily thing. It was more of a weekly thing or maybe two or three times a week. But the thing that remained consistent from the first time I drank till the last time I drank was the pace at which I drank and the amount that I drank. And it was typically as much as I could until I couldn't anymore. Um, and then, you know, got to a point where it had an impact on our family and our marriage. And it was um, something that I had to take a, a look at really for the first time. I went through 
a pretty extensive um, five-month program uh, where it was once a week with an alcohol specialist. And, you know, she brought perspective to me that I didn't have while I was drinking. I remained sober during that time. Um, so that kind of cleared my head a little bit and I was able to see it differently and probably see it for what it was and just made up my mind that, you know, if I was going to uh, stay married and have, have a family and full access to my children, um, there wasn't really an option to moderate it because I was, as my therapist said, kind of a perfect example of a binge drinking alcoholic. So I made that decision and, um, you know, fortunately, uh, haven't looked back. Thank no. you. Yeah. Oh, and I'm glad I'm happy. Yeah. Right. I, I changed our relationship and so much about our, our future lives, mm -hmm. like gave us a future, right? It did. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm going to take you back. So, uh, you said that you started drinking at 12. Can you remember, or that was when you had your first drink, I should say, um, what, do you remember feelings like once you were, once you drank that first drink and those feelings of being, I don't know, drunk, maybe, mm -hmm. do you remember how that felt? Uh, just, you know, just feeling out of control, um, it takes you to a different place that, you know, obviously at that age, uh, I hadn't really experienced before, um, probably some form of numbing, um, and just really enjoyed um, the the place that that it brought me to being yeah. being being drunk, yeah. And then we'll just skip kind of to your college years when thing when you kind of up the ante a little. Mm -hmm. So was that similar feelings, or was it just more the aspect that you're with your guys and you know the team atmosphere and being able to let loose once a week and yeah. or was it still a little bit of that numbing as well well I think that you know when I say numbing and I describe those feelings those certainly weren't feelings that I ever remember thinking at the time it's more looking back what I what I suspect what I was probably subconsciously feeling um I think I think in college you know that the pressures the stress, the anxiety of being in a in a bigger situation academically as well as athletically, um, feeling overwhelmed, feeling outmatched, feeling like I um, was struggling to find my place. Um, I think that that really drove it to the new heights. And the so it, it was, it was it, looking back on it, I think it was just a, a, a pressure relief. Mm -hmm. And You'd mentioned once swimming was over, can we talk about kind of that transition from being that college student and having years of swimming as part of your life? I mean, how old did you start swimming? Six? I started at six. Yeah. I, I went till I was 22. And that's gone. That's gone. And that transition also very quickly after you graduated, we yeah. ended up pregnant, right? Yeah. And having to, you know, start a family earlier than, than I think normal and probably yeah. we should have. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, um, I think, you know, looking back on, on that. So then it definitely took a step forward. Like I said, post-college, I think, I think that that, and again, this is all um, perspective that I probably didn't have until I was, you know, maybe eight years ago working with professional and trying to get my, my head wrapped around it. But I think it was, you know, um, 
I was a swimmer and that was, that was kind of the only thing that I identified with. It was probably the, the only thing that I felt good about myself, you know, cause I, I, I felt like I um, did a pretty good job at that. And um, I kind of threw everything that I had into the sport and didn't have much else that I felt that I could really lean back on. Um, and so when that was over, I think that, um, and I put so much into that. Um, I think I just shifted those energies towards um, another addiction. I think that, you know, in a way, I think the sport was an addiction too, just the way you have to focus and train um, to, to, you know, compete. I think that I just channeled that in a, in an unhealthy way to something that really made things worse. And it wasn't just alcohol. It was certainly food. Um, I def definitely have an addictive type personality. And so um you know, I just made that shift. And again, all of this was not front of mind at the time, you know, when I was 22 years old. Um, but in my mind, again, through, through working with somebody, I, I, that's, that's how I see it today. And from a family perspective, I mean, I remember kind of the early years after having the kids and the effect that it had, like from your perspective, how did you view your drinking during those years? And then if you feel comfortable, can I share kind of from my perspective. Yeah. I think that I, I think when you, when you drink like that, you associate yourself with, with people that um, operate in a similar manner. Cause if you didn't, people would probably get tired of it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, looking back on it, I think I surrounded myself with, with friends um, that really normalized it for me. Um, so a lot of, a lot of binge drinking, a lot of, um, social activities around sporting events, um, uh, a, a lot of um, time at bars, you know. Uh, so to me, it felt completely normal. Um, and I and I felt that way all the way through the end until probably halfway through, you know, that, that five-month program that I went to when I you know, told my story to um, the alcohol specialist. And then she shared it back with me. And I, for the mm -hmm. first time, thought, yeah, maybe this is a little bit, um, I don't want to say inappropriate, but a little bit um, selfish and and a little bit um, create some challenges with the family dynamic. But I certainly thought it was completely normal when I was going through it. And you, you're going to share your perspective in a second, but when you would suggest otherwise, I legitimately thought you were... Um, making a big deal out of something that was not an issue. Yeah. I oh, do you want to touch on one thing? So when you said, um, you know, you, you surround yourself with people that have similar, uh, I guess, uh, interests, right. Mm -hmm. But Raider games were such a huge mm -hmm. part of that. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel comfortable talking about like setting, like, can you set this stage just to help people understand kind of the lead up to something like a Raider game and then what would happen on that day? Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I'm a lifelong suffering Raider fan <laughs> and a, a very big Raider fan. And we had season tickets for uh, quite a few years when they moved back to Oakland. And that kind of coincided with uh, me graduating from college. And um, so that event became a, definitely a, a alcohol focused event. There was a lot of nervous energy on my part around how we would perform um, and I, I can distinctly remember, so games are typically on Sundays. I can distinctly remember 
there would be a shift midweek for me where mentally I would almost check out of my, my reality of life, my day-to-day uh, responsibilities, whether it be work or family. And I would start to make that transition over to getting mentally focused um, for the upcoming game over the weekend. I know that sounds, that sounds a little bit um, wild, but it was true. And I just couldn't wait for Sunday morning. And, and then of course, Sundays were, you know, a a pretty, pretty hard partying day down and back and all the way through. Yeah. I mean, I was actually that that's how I remember it is midweek, uh, it would, the focus would definitely change because it was the, I always looked at it like a plea pre party planning, planning. Right. And that took a lot of energy, um, and focus and time and the lead up to that Sunday or the, or whatever was going to happen on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what I was actually going to share. So obviously it, it comes to a head where we were, I can't do I can't, um, I guess, operate right at that level. And we had two small children. And so, um, we decide, or I, you know, lay, I don't know, is it an ultimatum? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Which is dangerous (laughs) because there's always a chance that the person will just be like, okay, (laughs) like F off and, Mm -hmm. And when I uh, basically laid it down, I definitely had to reconcile. And I knew that there was a possibility that you would not choose to go and talk to somebody about it. Mm -hmm. And so what was the ultimatum? The ultimatum was that not that I would stop drinking, but that I would stop drinking the way that I drank. And so, you know, when I say the way that I drank, it was, and this is not an exaggeration anyway, it was on the floor is how I would finish Mm -hmm. my, my drinking sessions. And, um, so it was dial that back. Um, which when I went into the, to the alcohol program, alcohol recovery program, um, that was definitely my mindset. Okay. I, I can still keep drinking. Thank goodness. Um, but I just have to dial it back. And so the other, the other ultimatum that you made, if you, you might recall was that I had to remain sober during the time that I went through that program. Yeah. So yeah, because this wasn't an inpatient. This was working privately with a yeah. therapist. Mm-hmm. So it, there were no real requirements from a, you know, like a facility perspective or the therapist perspective. I'm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think um, at that time, I was thinking either I like the amount of, you know, heartache that is around having a relationship with someone who's an addict. Um, and having two small children, it was definitely, uh, beyond like reasonable looking back at it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that my, my bottom line was just don't drink the way that you drink is just so, um, I mean, that gives you the perspective of my thoughts too, like of understanding addiction. Right. right? And how old was I? 27. Uh, yeah, you, you had, yeah, you just turned 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, that explains a lot. I mean, we had, well, I think it's another subject about how, uh, emotionally immature both of us were. That's a whole nother topic, but, but I think that that kind of goes with the idea that that was 
that was going to be a better thing than what I was living in that moment. Right. I think also to be fair though, I mean, I, I definitely don't disagree that I was emotionally immature, but I think the other thing too, is when you're that age and still in our twenties and having never experienced it, um, I don't think it's that unrealistic to look at that and say that that would be a, a fair ultimatum looking at it now with everything that we've experienced in our family um, you look at it now and you say, that's not really possible. But that was certainly my mindset when I went into therapy and um, and started working with her was, I just have to get my arms around it. Um, and again, I was sober walking through that. She started it by saying, you know, just tell me about your relationship with alcohol and how it how it shows up in your, your marriage, the dynamic around that. And I, I sat there and I told her everything. I told her about the Raider games. I told her about the concerts, the you know, all the Cal football games and you know, everything that, that I kind of uh, would, would build, kind of built my life around. And I did it almost with ego, you know, saying, Hey, this is what it is. Like it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Cause you're going to tell me it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, that, that probably was a six, six, seven week process. And then she started to go into, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of regurgitate it back to you. And I'm going to tell you what you just told me. And again, I, I was sober during this time. And so I think that really helped. It, it, it was able, I was able to kind of get out of the brain fog a little bit. And then as she told it back to me, she said, I want you to think about if I was describing your spouse rather than you. And when she did that, that really had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, you know, I, I wouldn't put up with it. And I went from thinking it was irrational um, that you had issues with it mm-hmm. to, kind of putting myself in your shoes and seeing it much differently. So that got us through the first two phases, me telling my story, her telling me my story back. And then the third phase was her breaking down her assessment of my situation, my relationship with alcohol, the binge drinking alcoholic, why you can't monitor it. You know, you, you, why I couldn't dial it back, which was our intent, our goal. I think when, when we first started the whole thing and that, that really, that really hit home with me, fortunately, because I think um, I know myself well enough. I know my addictive personality. And when she said it, it just completely resonated with me. And I knew that I, if I was going to, you know, live a productive life and stay married to you and keep the family intact, I knew that um, I didn't have a choice that I had to do it. And not only that I didn't have a choice, but it was the right choice. And, I, you know, that was it. Fortunately, it stuck and it made sense. And, um, you know, here we are 24 years later. Yeah. And so from that point, can we talk a little bit about, um, I think, which is, things that are very natural when uh, people um, go into sobriety. And one thing is, do you ever want to drink? Yeah, I was just talking about this with a buddy this morning golfing because I shared with him, you know, the the weekend and you know, there, you know, this time of year is it's always a good thing, Ben. Right. Yeah. It's always um it all it's it's a little different. Um what was your question? Question um, <laughs> was, um, <laughs> I've actually forgotten. It was a really good one. I know. Um, Post-sobriety. 
Yeah. Do you ever want to drink? Do I ever want to drink? Um, yeah. I mean, it's gotten easier as the years have gone on. Definitely. You know, the first probably three to five years, I'm guessing there was a lot of what I would describe kind of white knuckle moments. I would have, I would have dreams, which were really, um, um, nightmares mm -hmm. that I had, I had, you know, started drinking again, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, for the last say 20 years, it's, it, it's a, it's a situational thing where, you know, maybe I'm out with my buddies or I'm in a social situation with my buddies at, at our house or at somebody else's house. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's something around belling up to the bar mm -hmm. with your best friends and, you know, having a shot or having a beer, there's something kind of nostalgic about that for me. And it's, it's, it's all bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's, there's nothing really to that. You can have, you can have great relationships with friends without that being a part of it. But I always love the, the, I always love that aspect of it with my friends. And so probably one, I would say once a year, and this is what I was sharing on the golf course, got asked the same question. I think once a year I get that, that feeling or desire typically when I'm in those moments and it's usually maybe around the holidays. Um, and I, you know, you can, it, I'm 53 now and I was 29 when I had my last drink. And so you, there's that thought of, I'm 53 years old. I'm not that person anymore. I can, I can go back to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've grown so much. I was no way I could ever get back to that point. And it's just that little voice in your head telling you that you kind of paid your dues and you can, you can moderate it again. And so when that moment comes, I, I, I've learned to just sit with it. It, it's not a, it's, it's something that I hardly, maybe I've mentioned it to you before, okay. but I don't, I don't say it in the moment with my friends. I just keep it to myself. I sit with it. I let it pass. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I move on. And fortunately that doesn't happen very often. I know that it's not logic. Um, when I'm, when I'm telling myself that, that I could, I could dive back in and, and moderate it. So I just let it pass. But, um, that's, that's about it. I mean, I don't, I don't think about it. I'm around it all the time. I don't mind being around um, people that drink. It doesn't bother me at all. If it gets to a certain point, I just kind of, you know, if folks get to a certain point where they're getting drunk, it's like, it's hard to be sober just because it's more annoying than anything right. else. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't really even think about my sobriety um, until, you know, once a year, we'll kind of get around this point. It's a, it's a big month for us, you know, with our, our wedding anniversary, our first date anniversary, my sobriety date. I don't spend a lot of time, unfortunately, feeling thankful or feeling grateful. And when I get to this period of the year, every year, it's when it hits me a little bit more, but it's more gratitude than anything else. And that's a good thing. And so do you think there's a transition or did you experience a transition from, I don't know if guilt or uh, regret was ever part of it into that gratitude? Like, did that was that a transformation too about yourself and yeah i mean the the guilt thing is still the overwhelming emotion and and you know i i, I think that uh, that was maybe one of the tough parts about getting sober is you i never felt guilt you know i i just it wasn't an emotion that i 
that I felt a lot of, and maybe that's- You mean in any aspect of yeah. your life? Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that. And then, and then when I got sober, that guilt was overwhelming to me. Just thinking back at all of the all of the times and, uh, you know, you, just the way I acted and, um, can I interrupt? Because yeah. I think what you're talking about isn't, you're not just talking about from a family perspective, you're right. talking about John in many other sure. different environments, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, to, and to this day, I, it's still something that I struggle with is, mm -hmm. um, is if you want to call it guilt versus gratitude, I'm probably 95, five, 95 guilt. Yeah. Today. Yeah, which is which you know is is a um, I think common mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean it's good, but I think it's common and um, at least for people that have been on the journey that I've been on, and so that that doesn't allow you to enjoy things as much. Mm -hmm. And so this time of year is actually kind of nice because for whatever reason, well, we know the reason. Um, right. It's just the the anniversary month, and um, I get to get to feel that a little bit more than normal, yeah. and that's a good thing. So every year you do do a gratitude post, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you'd call it that. I'd never really looked at it that way, but yeah, yeah. Every and, year, I, yeah. And every year you get somebody reaching out to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll post, you know, something on the socials around the anniversary, the number of years, and and I don't know exactly what it is. I'll I'll probably post one tomorrow, but. Um, but yeah, it's nice. I get uh, every year I'll get people that reach out and um, will say that they're struggling with the same thing or they've been sober a month. And, you know, when you've been sober a month, it's hard to imagine being sober for 24 years. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, people that knew me when I drank, um, you know, if, if if you can anyway be inspiring, you know, and that's a strong word, but you know, people, you can look at me and go, if that guy, if that guy <laughs> could do it, I promise you a lot of other people could do it because, um, I was in pretty deep and didn't really have a lot of tools to, to pull that off. But, you know, somehow, fortunately I did. So I wanted to talk about once you became sober, it, didn't necessarily mean everything was easy from then on out. Mm -hmm. I mean, friendships, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess let's talk about that. Yeah. Did friendships change or mm -hmm. be eliminated? I mean, did some friendships drop? Definitely. Definitely. Um, some friendships definitely stayed, you know, there there's, there's friends from that era that, um, that still remain very good friends of mine. Um, but there was a lot of people that I, and this isn't to speak ill upon anyone because mm -hmm. it's not, it's just that the lifestyle changes. And, yeah. you know, if I'm not going out, um, you kind of realize that's what you really had in common. Mm -hmm. And so you remove that from what you have in common and you realize there's not a lot left. And so uh, I remember there being a little bit of, you know, uh, doubt um, placed on me by some people. And I, and I, I look back on that and I think it was really them, uh, probably again, subconsciously, it's like, if you're, if you're an alcoholic, then that means I'm an alcoholic because I do what you do. And so they don't mm -hmm. want to admit that I have the issue that I have and that I was probably more caving into my wife. Right. Um, rather bitch. than, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, around gratitude, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I'm, that I do feel a lot of gratitude towards is my friend group today. I know, you know, I've got some close friends that I see at least weekly and, I promise you there's no way I would have friendships with those, with those men, if it wasn't, um, for my sobriety Yeah, and, um, that, you know, 24 years ago, we, they would have, 
they would have probably run into me once and that would be the last time they ever wanted to see me. So very fortunate to um, have been able to experience that as a result, I think, of my sobriety. Yeah. Gosh, I've like lost my train of thought because I'm I'm so thankful for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, one thing that becoming sober as as at least uh as an observer of this Mm -hmm. is that it and also to my future uh Mm -hmm. career right is that when you become sober it's when you really start to then have to tackle maybe the reasons that you began drinking Mm -hmm. maybe you didn't realize those were the reasons you began Mm -hmm. drinking but it you certainly knew that it was dampering or putting something like didn't a little bit of a denial of something that you Mm -hmm. people just don't want to face right and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that or have you talk about about that yeah I mean I think that one thing that's that's clear at least in my case is just because you stop drinking you don't solve all of your issues Mm -hmm. or problems and um you know we we definitely had had a hangover as a result of the damage that I had caused in the relationship from my drinking, you know, all of that doesn't just miraculously go away because mm-hmm. I get sober. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, th- my, my own personal thought on alcoholism is, you know, definitely there's a, there's a predeposition that some people have. And um, I think that I certainly have that, but then I also think that there's um, there's um, elements of your life that um, that play into it. And so so there's probably people that have the gene or whatever, you know, whatever it's called that, that don't turn to alcohol, um, maybe because of the life that they had. But, um, for me, I think I had, I had both. Um, and there was a reason that I, that I needed alcohol to, um, you know, I thought helped me get by. Well, I mean, I'm learning and from class and school that there's gene vulnerability, right? And so mm-hmm. you're talking about potentially having a gene that, uh, once expressed leads, you know, helps to, to become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that a uh, stress like incredible stress will start to express that gene. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to go into that, those details, but just, I wanted to share that because people don't understand the power of that yeah. when that actually gets activated. Yeah. Um, so can we, I think, I don't know, I think I want to well, first, anything else that you want to say? I kind of want to wrap it up and talk about maybe, you know, if someone's looking to take that first step or in any phase of sobriety, kind of your suggestions or parting words, but anything before we, anything else before we get into that? And I think, you know, going back to the post, um, when you start, when you start being sober and everything not going away. I mean, it, it definitely gets better because it takes away that whole element and everything that it caused. And, you know, whether it be marital issues or health issues or legal issues, whatever, you know, whatever it's, 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 however it's impacted your life, that's certainly a good thing. But I think that um, whatever the underlying issues are, if they're not addressed, they can just migrate to something else they fester into something yeah, else. yeah yeah whatever whatever that might be and you know i think when i quit drinking um i found new vices and fortunately for me um my vices are 
um, in my in my opinion. I might be <laughs> might be fooling myself a little bit here, but they're less destructive. They're not illegal. You know, they stay within the guardrails of I think what society was would deem as acceptable. Mm-hmm. But they're still addiction, you know, and um, and I have things that I know that I'm absolutely addicted to, um, but they're not as harmful. So I've kind of gone and I think tried to tried to shift it into something that in my mind is not necessarily healthy, but it's healthier. Right. Um, and I can kind of manage it in a, in a way that I couldn't with alcohol. So can I ask a question about that? Mm-hmm. So when you look at these other things that you do, um, that you are considering addict, like because of your addictive mm-hmm. personality would lean towards these, do you, do you see any reason to get under the underlying cause? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you could do those things without, I believe, knowing you, you could actually, if you figured out what the underlying cause and healed that or work with that or whatever it is, you would be doing those things, I think, out of pure enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like they're not harm. Like, do you want to share one of the things that you do that you would classify as addictive? Are you talking about the occasional cigar that I enjoy? Uh, well, I was like starting to wonder, like, wait, what is he talking about? Well, but I that's mean, what I thought. Yeah. yeah. I mean, caffeine. I, I drink way too much coffee. Mm-hmm. I I eat way too much food. Okay. You know, it's just like every okay. every day. I mean, I you think about golf and I'm, you know, I'm golfing for six days straight over, yeah. you know, or five days straight over the holidays. It's like I I kind of do everything in a little bit of excess. Okay. Um, that's just my natural personality. And it 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 works in some ways. Like if if I were to channel that towards a sport <laughs> or channel it towards academics, which I've never done, um, th- or, or channel it towards family, you know, whatever, there, there's healthy ways that that can show up. Um, I think I've removed the most unhealthy way. Yeah. That's shown up for Interesting. me. Um, okay. So let's move on to the last part of this conversation. What what do you say to somebody who maybe is in the throes of their alcoholism and they just don't know how to take that first step, yeah. especially if they don't have the ultimatum, Yeah, but they know something's up. Yeah. I, I, I always struggle a little bit with that because I don't ever want to come across as somebody who's, you know, the, the who's perfect or the know-it-all or come to me and I will help you see the light. That's just not my personality, but I have had people, um, come to me and, and help. I've had very close friends that, um, that have asked for advice or help. Um, and then I've had people like on the, on the socials that will, will shoot a note and ask me a question. I mean, I guess, I guess the first step is get help, you know, and I've got a lot of friends that that are sober that really, um, um, are part of the AA program. And I've gone to AA meetings with um, a handful of, of close friends that kind of started their sobriety journey. So, you know, I, I, I don't, it's not that I don't feel comfortable in that role. I just don't feel like it's, I don't always feel like it's my place. I'm happy mm-hmm. to help anyone, but I'm not a professional, but it, in a, in short, I would say um, work with a professional or go, go to an AA meeting, you know, realize that you're not, you're not alone. Um, this is something that has, you know, unfortunately impacted tens of millions of people, I'm sure across, across the the world over time. And um, it's something that's really hard to, um, 
to, to do on your own. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, I was fortunate the first time that I tried to get sober, I remained sober, um, which might've been part of my addictive personality. I kind of channel, I channel right. a lot of that focus into staying sober. And so that's another benefit to, I think, having that type of personality, but I've had, I and mean, I've got a very close friend that's uh, just celebrated uh, two years that, um, that tried multiple times. I want to say at least two or three times. And, um, and finally the third time stuck and I've got other friends that have done it and, um, it didn't stick. And unfortunately when you, you know, when you get sober and then you go back, you typically go back to a higher level. And so it's higher level of drinking. yeah, Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, you get sober and then it never works or you go back and you moderate and mm-hmm. you suddenly have it uh, under control, especially if you're a binge drinking alcoholic, which was, you know, a lot of the folks that I hung out with and a lot of my friends that have dealt with it, I would say that that's probably the type of alcoholic that they are. Yeah. Any parting words? No, thank you for sticking with me through, oh, through this journey. Well, I mean, I feel, and I just want you to know, like, Yes, it was such a big kind of defining part of our married life, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning. And, but I, we, if we didn't have that, I honestly don't think we would be where we are today mm-hmm. because I just think it, it allows us to kind of reflect where we came from and what we know what hard work is, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I love you. I love you. I can't imagine my life without you. Thank you, baby. You're welcome. Thank you for doing this. Of course. You know, how do you feel right now? I feel fine. I feel good. You did awesome. Oh, did I? Yeah. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully it was, it was, uh, it was was good. I think, I don't think you realize this, but this is going to be one of many conversations on the podcast. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. I got the jitters out. I'm ready. Yeah. You're ready. Oh boy. Now we're not going to be able to stop you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Future Therapist podcast. If you'd like to reach co-hosts Kelly Newsom and Megan Lachowski, feel free to text them at 530-733-6400 or reach them by email at yourfuturetherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can also slide into their DMs on Instagram, handle at yourfuturetherapist underscore pod. Make sure to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review on any of the streaming platforms you listen to this podcast on.